read the same passage in our English Bibles, Mark chapter 7, 24 to 30. You recall the distinction between the clean and the unclean. It's not what we eat, right? It's not external. But we come for cleansing through whom? Through Jesus. And he cleans us by his spirit from the inside. And he separates us from all that is unclean. And he gives a whole list here. Right? The evil thoughts, adulteries, and so on. Covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lying, an evil eye, and so on. Pride. Those are the things he cleanses us from. It's the inside. The scribes and Pharisees, the multitudes, they didn't understand. And where does Jesus go now? So that someone understands? To someone who's really unclean. To someone who worships idols. He goes outside of Israel and he never saw one with such faith. And this is amazing. You see the contrast between the two. Jesus continues to minister, but he goes outside of Israel now. And we read, beginning at verse 24. From there, Jesus arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Wow, the power of Christ to even go outside of his own people and draw or bring people to faith in him. He has that power, that authority to bring the unclean, to bring the idol worshipers even to faith in him. So brothers and sisters in Christ, you know the, the Pharisees, the scribes, they were the leaders of the church. They were as cold as ice. You know what I mean by that, right? There was no softness in them. They were so rigid, rigid, rigid about the rules of unclean and unclean and clean, about things, about people. They're always washing their hands just in case they touched an unclean person or an unclean bowl that someone else had touched that was not clean. There was no good news that they offered. They offered no good news. There was no love in them. There was no forgiveness. Only law, law, duty, duty, duty. No expression of the love of Christ in them. And that's because they chose not to believe in Christ. They wanted to stick by their laws, by their rules, And they did not want to believe in Jesus. 
the one who has the power to cleanse, the one who has the authority to cleanse us from all our sins. And yeah, you see, what a great contrast. It's a huge contrast here in these verses that we just read. You get the response of the woman who's nothing. She's nothing. And you see the contrast with the unbelief of the proud Pharisees and the scribes who thought they were everything. Her sterling faith, you know what I mean by sterling? Her precious faith in Jesus, a stinging rebuke to the unbelieving multitudes, the unbelieving leaders of the church in that day. And you know, the story is really a strong encouragement for anyone who has yet not come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's any one that is afraid to come to Christ, they should remove all fears because he's the one. He's the one who takes us in and holds us. That's Christ. Full of love, full of compassion, full of forgiveness to those who come to him in true faith. But there's something else here. It's also an encouragement for us here who may be struggling with hard things in their lives, difficult circumstances. Look at, look at all the obstacles she had to face. And yet, Christ is the one who pulls her through it all. So it's an encouragement for believers as well, struggling with their faith, maybe in deep, difficult circumstances. But really, you can say the woman comes to faith here, but we should say it in a different way. It's the Lord Jesus who brings this woman to faith in him. Why does she come to faith? Because it's the Lord at work in her life to bring her to him. That's exactly what she does. She comes to the house where he's had. What we're going to see here is in light of the Lord's great work in her life, his powerful work, we see three things about her faith. She comes in humility. That's what we see in verses 24, 25, and 26. Humility. And second of all, you see a faith that's persistent. She's not going to give up. She's going to cling to Jesus no matter what. That's what we see in 27, 28. And finally we see she shows her faith by submitting to the word of God, by submitting to the authority of Christ in his word. Faith. The faith that Jesus gave her, it's a gift of God, and it shows in these three special ways. Humility, persistence, and submission to Christ, the King. We turn, first of all, to the humility of this lady. Notice that Jesus, he withdraws from Israel, the land of God's people. Why? Because there was so much opposition against him. It wasn't the kind of faith that he was looking for. And so with his disciples, he now goes outside of Israel to a totally different land, to the region of, it's called here Tyre and Sidon. Don't think Tyre is on the wheel of a car. Tyre is actually a town, a city, on the coast of the Mediterranean. And Sidon was about 25 miles north of that, right along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And if you know anything about Tyre and Sidon in the Bible, it's, you often read about it in the Old Testament. Tyre and Sidon were not good friends with the people of God, with the people of Israel. There was a long-standing 
enmity between them. Tyre and Sidon, they worship gods. And those gods have certain names. If you read 1 Kings 17, think about where Jezebel came from, the wife of King Ahab, from the region of Tyre and Sidon. And Jezebel at that time, 800 years before, had introduced the worship of Baal, a false god, into Israel. So, definitely a yuck nation. Bucky. Gross. Not the kind of people that that the Pharisees and scribes certainly wanted to get close to. Well, in the region of Tyre and Sidon, we read that Jesus entered a house and he didn't want anyone to know about him being there. But he could not be hidden. Again, his rest was short-lived. Perhaps he wanted to take the time just to train his disciples, prepare his disciples for his upcoming crucifixion on the cross, teach them. But we also know from Mark chapter 3, if you look back in Mark chapter 3, that crowds had come to Galilee to, to meet Jesus. And some of those crowds had also had come from Tyre and Sidon. So that's not the first time they heard about Jesus. And now we read about a Gentile woman. Gentile means one who is not Jewish, one who did not have the Bible, one who did not belong in covenant with God. Okay? She discovers where Jesus is staying. She finds out. Well, we should say it this way. The Lord Jesus works in her life so that he allows her, he works in her, so that she comes to the very house where he is probably eating a meal at that time. You see Jesus, his great love for sinners? He didn't push these people away. He knew. He's preparing for the, the gospel to go beyond the Jews to the Gentiles, as we see over here. And this woman comes. And what's the first thing you see about her? You see her faith. And how do you see her faith? She just grabs the feet of Jesus. She just falls to the ground and just grabs the feet of Jesus and prostrates before him. She knows. She knows that she is nothing. She has come to know that he is the powerful one. He's the one who has authority. Perhaps she knew that he had, he had the one authority from heaven. And she just falls down before him. That's, that's, that's faithful. True faith exhibits itself by prostrating, by falling yourself down before one who is mighty, who's everything. You're nothing. That's what she did. She acknowledges his authority and she just begs. She begs. Begs him to do what? To cast out a spirit. What kind of spirit? See that? Unclean. Think back to the clean, unclean. An unclean spirit that was in her daughter. She cared about her daughter. She loved her daughter. And she knew where to go with her troubles. She knew that she could only go to Jesus. That's because Jesus put that in her. See that? She, Jesus led her to himself. And that's why she's at his feet. There's one other time that you see someone else falling at the feet of Jesus. Remember who that was? Jairus. We read that about that in um, Mark chapter 5. He also fell at the feet of Jesus because his daughter was also dying. 
reason I bring this up is because there's a big contrast between Jairus, what you read about Jairus, and what you read about this woman. He was a Jew. She's a Gentile. He was a respected leader. And he was president of the synagogue. He was a high and mighty man. But now you come to a person of all the people to approach Jesus in this gospel, this woman had the most against her from the perspective of the Jews. You know what was wrong with her? Her race was wrong. Her religion was wrong. Her country was wrong. Her gender was wrong. And she was just from a bad, bad place. Verse 26, you see that? She was a woman, a Greek Gentile, a Syrophoenician, that means she belonged to the country of Syria, so it's not Israel, and there's also another country there close by called Phoenicia, it was from the same region. She was up by birth, and she was, guess what? A pagan, a worshiper of idols. You know, what qualifies her to come to Jesus? Her? What kind of lady is she? She's nothing. Nothing. In the mind of the Jews, you just don't even look at such a person. You just go by them. Yet for all the differences between Jairus and her, between a Jew and a Gentile, you know what? Jairus had no distinction with Jesus. There's no distinction between Jairus and this woman. In the eyes of Jesus, it's both the same. Jesus never looks at human status. Never. We do. Jesus doesn't look at human status. He looks at your need. And whether you come to him with your need, with your faith, in your faith, with with faith. He calls for faith. That's, That's the difference. He calls for faith. He doesn't look at your pedigree. He doesn't look at your criminal record. He doesn't say, well, let me see your background. Let me do a background check on you first and make sure you're the kind of person I want you to be. No. Jesus comes to them the whole way. Whether it's Jairus, a rich man, or this woman who is a nothing in the eyes of the Jews. One author says it this way, her only cover letter, we talk about cover letter, (laughs) she had nothing to put on her cover letter, only her desperate need. That's all. It reminds us of the song, when the needy seek him, he will mercy show. She believed that. Was there such faith in Israel? Was it among the multitudes? Suppose the woman had gone to the Pharisees and scribes and said, can you help me? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? They would have no answer. They would have no solution. It's hard to imagine considering the tradition of the elders. They would turn away from her. I mean, you can come to your own conclusions. What could, just imagine what would have happened. They had no softness towards others. This woman, in spite of all her obstacles, all the things against her of coming to Jesus, she comes in faith. She trusts him. She knows he's the one. He's the one. 
And that's why you see her true humility, having fallen at the feet of Jesus. And you see here, she just kept asking. That's the sense here. She kept asking. She didn't stop. She kept on and kept on and kept on. You know, Jesus doesn't get tired of that. He doesn't get tired if we keep on asking. It's all right. She was expressing her faith and her need before him. Now you begin to ask, did she have a husband? Where was her husband? Maybe she was a widow. And if she was, doesn't this remind you of the story of the widow Zarephath in 1 Kings 17? Remember that? Remember the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 17? Remember his encounter with a widow in the same region, also in Tyre and Sidon, outside of Israel. And that was 800 years before the time of Christ. But in both cases, you see the child of the widow needed deliverance. There in the time of Elijah, the, the son of the widow was dying. So both needed deliverance. And both widows showed faith. And both were outside of Israel. Both were outside God's people. Earlier in Luke, Jesus says that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. Elijah didn't go to any of them. But he went to he went to the one in Zarephath. That's the one he went to. In the region of Sidon. Yeah, Elijah did not find faith in Israel. Not such faith. And likewise, you see, almost like Jesus reminding Israel, this is a situation repeated all over again. Wow. Regarding the woman's faith, you see her humility. You know, that's what faith is. Faith that shows itself, is trusting in Christ, and that trust shows in, in a depth of humility before Christ. But also in persistence, and that's what we see in verses 27 28. She didn't let up. <laughs> she knows who Jesus is. And she knows he will hear her. Hear her cries. She persists in asking. She sows her faith by persisting. In spite of even the reluctance of Jesus. Even, even hear that. It almost seems like Jesus is hesitant to respond to her. To reply to her. Her need, as we see in verse 27. What Jesus does, he tells her a little parable probably when he's eating. And he says to her, let the children be filled first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. What? That little, does that seem a little offensive? Is Jesus referring to this Syrophoenician as a dog? If he's referring to her as a dog, isn't that offensive? Isn't that an offensive thing to say to a person? Isn't it like calling her worthless? Dogs were associated in the Jewish religion as something unclean because they ate garbage. They were gross. They were considered mongrels. And the term dog is hardly a compliment, it seems, when you read that. We have to be careful here how we read Jesus' words. Context is always important. Always. Let's be really clear about that. Context is always important. He's not saying, Jesus is not saying what we think he might be saying. Just remember, go back to the beginning of Mark chapter 7. 
Who had Jesus confronted? He confronted the friars and the scribes with this very sort of thing for calling people mongrels. So you know that Jesus is not agreeing with the Pharisees. I mean, that's what they would say. They would call her a dog with all the above associations. But that's not how Jesus is using the word here. Jesus is not calling her a mongrel. So what's he saying then? Look very carefully. The word Jesus uses means a small dog. See there, it says little dogs. The children do not throw their bread to the little dogs. The little dogs were like house pets. It belonged to a household. It was not a mongrel, but a household pet. It was a little puppy, a little dog. There was were often within the households of the day. And the woman accepts it. This is the other thing. The woman gladly accepts what Jesus says. She, she understands it in the right way. She's not offended by it. And she even uses that same word. <laughs> she says, if you look at verse 28, she even uses that to refer to herself as a little dog. Showing that she truly understands what Jesus was saying. What's Jesus doing here? Well, he's distinguishing the Jews from the Gentiles up until this point. Because that's been the way all the way through the Old Testament. The Jews were called children. See what Jesus says? The children have priority. The children are first. They were the children of God. Why were they the children of God? Because they belonged to the covenant of Abraham, with Abraham. They received the privileges of the covenant, and that by, only by God's grace, not because they were better, not because they were more, but simply by the grace of God, because through that line, he would bring his son, the son, the greater son of Abraham into the world, who is Jesus Christ. They differ from all the other nations simply because of this, because of God's covenant with Abraham and his descendants. And what Jesus is saying is, yeah, but they, they need to be filled first. They should get all what they want first. We go first to them because they're the, the, the descendants of Abraham. That's where I must go first. They get all the food first. And yes, you know what? All the food, all the food had been set before Israel in Jesus. His works, his words, you know, they weren't, they weren't hungry for it. They weren't desiring. They weren't really listening. But yet, even in the midst of this, Jesus says, only when Israel has enough, then the Gentiles get their turn. And the woman, you know, she understands this even more than the Jews did. How do we know? Because if you look at verse 28, she acknowledges that same distinction. Yes, Lord, <laughs> children, and us little dogs. Yes. But you know what? In the Greek, she uses a different word for children than Jesus did. You know, Jesus uses a certain word for children, which means the descendants of Abraham, particularly. But the word she uses for children, you don't see it in the English or in the Punjabi. But the word children means not just actual children, but also household servants. She broadens the... She's, she, she's understanding what Jesus is saying. She's, she's entering into the life of the parable. She, she gets it. How many times did the Jews get it? They didn't, often didn't get the parables. Even the disciples would ask, what's he saying? 
she tracks him. She's tracking him. She understands. She understands that God's mercy in Christ extends to nations beyond Israel from Jesus' own words. Because Jesus says, let the children be, be filled first. What does that mean? First means not to the exclusion of the Gentiles, not to the exclusion of the others. His priority was to go to Israel first. That was God's plan in history. After that one sentence, the woman understands Jesus' mission. She doesn't reject the comparison. As a matter of fact, she goes one step further. She shows her wit. She shows the depth of her faith and her persistence. She, she doesn't give up. She's, she's understanding. She's tracking Christ. And she's saying, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Even as the children are eating, guess what? A lot of the crumbs that the children, children eat at tables. Moms and dads know about that. They're always sweeping because all the crumbs fall on the ground. Well, the little dogs in the homes in those days would be under the tables just ready to, to eat the crumbs. She goes one further than Jesus. She says, it's not just afterwards, but they're eating while the children are eating. They know the children. They know the children will drop the crumbs on the floor and the little dogs eat the crumbs. And now the woman's saying, there's crumbs for me too. You know, how desirous are we for the word of God? Would we run to it even if there were just little crumbs of it? I mean, those little crumbs, she sees so much of the word of God, the word of Christ, the work of Christ, and it's taking hold of her life. And so much, so much of her life is being taken hold by Christ that she's running to even get the little crumbs. Wow. How desirous are we? How desirous was Israel? They had a full meal, and they weren't desirous of it. Notice for this lady, there's a surplus with Jesus. And like Jacob, remember Jacob in the Old Testament? She's going to wrestle with Christ. That's her persistence. She's going to wrestle with Christ, and she's going to wrestle on the basis of the promises of God in the Old Testament. He's, he's going to wrestle until she gets it. And she knows that she will obtain it because Christ has promised it. And she's going to cling on to Christ because she knows that Christ will give it and, and Christ will hold on to her. And Christ will bring her to the table. Beautiful. Such faith, brothers and sisters. We've not seen such faith in the Gospel of Mark so far. Other than in this woman. You know, you think of the hard times. She was just a new believer. All the obstacles. And even the Lord being silent for a time. Uh, being reluctant to answer her. We may face those times in our lives too as believers. We're tempted to take offense at Christ because we don't see Christ answering us the way we want him to. But the question is, am I willing to humble myself completely before the Lord? Do I believe so strongly in my need of Christ that I keep clinging to him no matter how hard the ways are? Do I trust him? Do I believe he will hold on to me? As a matter of fact, he's the one that, who gives the faith. And the one who gives the faith 
He also holds on to us. Will I submit to him no matter what he gives me? Even if it's on his terms, not mine. This was this woman, right? Humble, persistent. And finally we see that in bringing her to himself, what else do we see Christ doing in her? She, he enables her to submit to Christ, to submit to his word. She shows her faith by submitting to the word, to the word of Jesus. What does he say to her in verse 29? Wow, here's the breakthrough. For this saying, she got it. She understood. She showed her faith. And Jesus says, now you go your way, the demon has gone, has left your daughter. You know, Jesus is saying this while he's a long ways away from the daughter. But that's the power of his word. That's the authority of his word. Very, very important to believe that. Jesus says, you go your way. And what does she do? She believes him. She believes the word of God. She takes Jesus at his word. That's what she does. She submits to it. He said, go. She goes. She obeys because she believes. You know, came across something this past week. We live in a day and age where so few people want to go to this. This is where we find the crumbs. This is where we find the meal. This is where we find everything we need. One person says it this way, R.C. Sproul. He says, I think the greatest weakness in the church today is that almost no one believes that God invests his power in the Bible. Everyone is looking for power in a program, in a technique, in anything, in everything, except where God has placed it in his word. Are we enjoying the meal? Are we eating? Wow, this woman went even after the crumbs, the crumbs, anything that she could get. Wow, those are strong words. Strong words of Christ. You know, when she came to her home, sure enough, was the daughter healed? Just as Jesus said, she trusted him. She believed it. He didn't have to go with her. She believed it right away. There you see such faith. And one who was not even from Israel. She knew as a little dog under the table, she now has a place at the table in the household of God. That's, that's really what we see here. She has a place at the table in the household of God. Sadly, Israel did not want to be filled with the bread that Jesus gives. The woman from Tyre and Sidon, she receives it. She wanted it. She wrestled for it, even for the crumbs. But sadly, there are people in the church today who don't want it. And yet, people outside the church who hunger for it. This is really what was that Jesus was saying in the midst of this miracle because it's in the midst of unbelieving Israel. The conflict is going to increase between the Jews and Jesus as it does 
Christ is revealing more and more that his plan, more and more of his plan, that in him all the nations are going to receive the blessing of Abraham. What does it take? It's going to take Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead to give new life. As a matter of fact, all that division, all that sin is represented in the tearing of his body on the cross, the cursed cross of Christ, where Christ was cursed on our behalf. And in his resurrection, you see Christ bringing people, drawing people from all nations, reconciling themselves, reconciling them to himself and to one another. That's the beauty of the work of Christ. That's what he was preparing himself for. We see a prophecy already in that, in this woman here. Wow. Do you remember Peter's vision of the clean and unclean animals? God has declared them cleansed. And then the apostle Peter said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. He don't care about status. As a matter of fact, through faith, we all have one status, and that's the greatest status, the greatest wealth in the world. And that is being children of God through faith in Christ. Peter goes on saying, every nation, whoever fears him is accepted by him. Whoever believes is accepted by him. There is room at the table in his house for all those who repent and trust that Jesus died and rose again from the dead to give new life. You believe him? You believe his word? If you do, you're blessed. You have everything in the world. That is, everything you need, you can find in Christ. No more eating of crumbs under his table. In Christ, we are full participants, equally so, fully so, no matter where we're from, what our backgrounds are, what kind of criminal record we have, whatever it is, there is room at his table for all who repent of their sin and trust in Christ. For what kind of people who trust in Christ? For poor people, for murderers, for thieves, for adulterers, for homosexuals, for transgenders, There's a place. There's a place at the table in Christ. So full of love is Christ. To all who come to him and repent of their sin and believe on him, there is reconciliation, there is unity, there is love and forgiveness. In a world of division, in a world of racism, discrimination, hatred, This story has such relevance for the church, also for our congregation in the city here today, doesn't it? And may sinners feel free to come to us. Never should they feel that they shouldn't come. Never, 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 ever, ever. May sinners feel free to come. May they feel never to be afraid and know the love and the compassion of Christ and his word through us. Because this is the Christ who embraced you with his arms. Arms that were stretched on the cross for your sins. Nailed to the cross. And by his spirit, Christ draws sinners to himself today through his word. 
May people feel free to come in faith with all their sorrows and all their needs and all their sins, regardless of their status, regardless of their background, because Christ is the only place where people from all backgrounds may openly come and then they can feel free and bold and persistent in terms of casting all their sins at the foot of the cross. And then they too, with us, are brought to eat as full participants, equal participants, at the table through fellowship in Christ. The dividing wall of hostility has been broken down in the cross, says the Bible. Jews and Gentiles are made one in Christ. The Bible says it this way, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Praise God. In Christ, there is a new creation. In Christ, there's a new world. In Christ, he is building a new humanity out of an old humanity. Praise God for the glory of his grace in Christ Jesus by the powerful working of his Holy Spirit. Amen.